So that glib little saying, prayer doesn't change things, prayer changes people, and people change things, is actually reassuringly true. Prayer is a mysterious process that changes both the giver and the receiver, but not in ways that are always clear, not even to science. Now, as a minister, I'm often called upon to pray, and I used to tie myself up in knots worrying that I would say the wrong thing. Anymore, I just sort of let the words come out as they will and know that they are coming out through my own good intentions. Anymore, I know the sincerity of the prayer is a whole lot more important than the words spoken. Now, as a Unitarian Universalist, I'm also quite careful when I pray. In praying for myself, I'm careful not to ask for things not within my grasp. I don't pray for something to be removed from my life or brought into my life so much as I pray to have the courage to remove what needs to be removed and to bring in what needs to be brought in. You see how this is a little harder for us. This discipline takes work. It is quite easy to pray for something tangible and then be disappointed when you don't get it. When people pray for wealth or love or even health, they set themselves up for heartache and frustration. Prayer has never brought instant gratification. It has never been an external solution to problems. Prayer has always been about sustaining hope in the face of human limitations. So what do I expect to happen as a result of my prayers? I expect to find what I need to face a situation. I look for courage, compassion, patience, and love. Because prayer is about connection. My connection to you, your connection to this congregation, a family's connection to its members, a justice-making connection to the poor and the powerless, a connection to the earth and to all its creatures. Because prayer is about connection, it isn't so much about giving and receiving, it is more about speaking and being heard. It's about listening and bringing to voice. At its most fundamental level, prayer is a conversation with God, writes Peter Marty, who's the publisher of The Christian Century. He continues, And conversations aren't about answers. They engage a relationship. They involve give and take and the sharing of company. Deep conversations inspire curiosity and promote discovery. They foster honesty. Now, you all have heard me talk about God enough to know that I do not mean by God some Santa Claus in the sky. God is not a cosmic bellhop who will bring you a grilled cheese sandwich if you pray for it. I do not believe that if you pray for a pony, God will bring you a pony, though it's tempting. 
nor does the God I believe in bend the laws of physics in anyone's favor. God does not start or stop hurricanes. So if God won't take Mrs. Benson's cancer out of her body, then why pray for her? Mrs. Benson is no different than you or me, except that she has cancer in her body right now. What she needs are the very same things we would need if we had cancer. She needs to know that she is loved. She needs to know that there is hope that the cancer might be removed and she might live out the rest of her days with dignity and grace. She needs to know that she is not alone. She needs to find courage. And she needs to be told over and over again that nothing bad will happen to her if she does die. These are the things that prayer does. Prayer's power is in its ability to change both the prayer and the person being prayed for. Its power is to help people imagine a way through difficult times. It makes people feel more connected to life and to other people. One of the reasons we have a time of prayer and meditation in each of our Sunday services is because we know how important it is to feel connected to other people and for them to feel connected to us. From the reading of the first parish pastoral list through the embracing meditation, we lift up the names of those who are on our hearts. We know that there are dozens of names each Sunday that remain in our thoughts alone, and this is a powerful ritual that we do together. This sanctuary becomes full of love and hope and care during our communal prayers. Even if some people are too private to be asked to be put on the pastoral care list, or too shy to say names of people they love aloud in this space. Every person in the sanctuary is engaged in the same healing work of prayer and meditation. Together, we knit the names spoken and unspoken together into the fabric of our community And if it is our name that is spoken, or even our name that is thought, we feel ourselves closer knit to this, our congregation. The prayer works because it's sincere. It is not showy or prideful. Rather, it is deeply humble and profoundly human. Then, by usually singing Spirit of Life, hearing a spoken prayer, often by one of the ministers, holding silence and responding with find a stillness, we complete that ritual. In our own imperfect way, we respond to the very core of human longing. It is prayer that grounds this church. So when is something worthy of prayer? If something troubles you, then it is worthy of prayer. If something fills you with great joy and delights you, it's worthy of prayer. If something wounds you, it is worthy of prayer. 
And even the improbable prayer works. That's the great news this morning. A child who fervently prays for a pony will be a child who loves animals, whether the pony ever arrives or not. A person who sincerely prays for miraculous recoveries or hurricanes to stop in their tracks will be the same person to bring a sick person a meal or to help clean up after the storm. Often the need we feel is caused by something very real in the world, and it is quite natural to pray for a better outcome. And what is always worthy of prayer is what arises in the human heart. Now you will know when to pray, because prayer arises naturally for any of us who are open to it, Times of great need or times of great joy may cause prayer to arise more urgently, but the common everyday events of our lives warrant it as well. Whether you call it prayer or meditation or just thinking of someone, it doesn't matter what you call it. This human response to need and bounty arises of its own accord. Letting the prayer come forth is more important than its shape. Now, contrary to popular lore, church emergencies are quite rare. Unitarian Universalists lead orderly, predictable lives. We often believe in salvation through good planning. (laughs) So it's not often that I have to drop everything I'm doing and rush off to be with someone. But the times that I have, I have been glad that prayer was one of the things I had at my disposal. I remember one sunny spring Monday morning when I was enjoying my day off working in my garden. My cell phone rang and I pulled off a gardening glove and fished it out of my pocket to see who was calling Because it was a Harrisburg number, and that was where I was the minister, I decided to answer the phone. On the other end of the line was a member of the congregation who was hysterical, and I couldn't even understand what she was saying. All that came through was the word hospital. I told her I would be right there. Unshaven and wearing somewhat dirty jeans... I showed up at the hospital a few minutes later and found my way to the room where this woman and her young adult daughter were holding one another and crying. The young woman, who was also my parishioner, had just found out that the baby that she had carried for nine months would be stillborn. She was waiting for the doctor and the nurses to help her with that process. And of course, I burst into tears too. How could we all be there? It was a beautiful, sunny Monday morning. How could a baby who was doing fine just the day before suddenly die? Where would this young woman find the strength to deliver the baby anyway? What would the father do when he arrived How would this family go forward? And what on earth could I, as their minister, 
do to be of any help. Who knows what I said that morning? I don't remember in that sterile hospital room. I'm sure I mumbled some kind of prayer. I know that we held hands. I know that we smiled at each other through our tears. I know we trusted the doctor and the nurses. I know that somehow the minutes and the hours went forward. I know that I was there with the grandmother in the waiting room. I know I was there to greet the sobbing father when he arrived. Nothing really prepares a person for something like this. There's no tried and true method for facing grief and loss. And yet, no one felt alone that morning. No one felt like he or she had been abandoned. No one felt like life would not go on. About a week later, we held a memorial service for baby Jack, as his family had named him. We went out to the cemetery, the whole church and I, and saw where there would be a little headstone and a flowering bush. It was the congregation's prayers that saw that family through the next year. It was the kind words and the sincere notes and the offers of food that slowly allowed healing to happen. And it was the same congregation that welcomed the news of a new baby girl growing in her mother's womb. The same congregation's thoughts and prayers that accompanied that little one day by day until she was born at last, healthy and happy and whole. My prayer for us, for you and for me, is that we might hold one another in prayer and know that it is powerful, that we might celebrate each other's successes and mourn each other's losses, that we might create among us a community so caring that its love radiates out, reaching hearts far and wide. So be it. Amen.